Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margo, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. All right, everyone, this is part two and the conclusion of the story of Sasha Kraus. If you're new here, I highly recommend listening to episode 103 before listening to this episode, as that gives you the entire backstory. Join me today as I bring you the conclusion of the Sasha Kraus story. Now, let's dig in. To prepare for this case, I watched a fully litigated trial on the Law and Crime Network. I also read articles found in KRQE, Fox 10 Phoenix, New York Post, NBC 12 News, Inside Edition, Arizona Central, and Military Times. We're now at the part in the story where Mark Gooch, an airman first class stationed at Luke Air Force Base, has been lured into the OSI building under the pretense of a random urinalysis. There he was, sitting in an interrogation room. In the interrogation room, Detective Lauren Nagel asked Mark if he knew why he was there, and he sort of just shrugged his shoulders and kind of laughed. He thought out loud, I don't know, maybe I was speeding on my motorcycle? Detective Nagel asked about any other cars that he might have or vehicles, and he mentioned that he did have a Volkswagen Jetta. He also mentioned that he has let his friend borrow his car on occasion, but only to drive on base. Detective Nagel asked him what he liked to do for fun, and he mentioned that he liked to ride his motorcycle, hiking, that type of stuff. He was very outdoorsy. He joined the Air Force in 2019 for a change of pace. He actually grew up in Wisconsin in a Mennonite faith, but he felt it was too strict. Mark told Detective Nagel that since he joined the Air Force and arrived at Luke in October of 2019, he had never left the state of Arizona. During the conversation, Detective Nagel eventually told Mark that she was investigating the murder of Sasha Kraus. And the crazy part is that when she said that, there was no change in Mark's demeanor. He remained calm, kind of like she was just telling him the soup of the day. Nagel asked Mark if he'd heard of Sasha, and he said yes, and he wished he knew information, but he didn't. Detective Nagel then did a little fibbing. She told Mark that his license plate was scanned by a license plate reader in New Mexico. She asked, have you been there recently? And he said yes, which completely contradicts what he told her just a few minutes earlier. But Nagel was kind. She didn't want to scare the kid away. Honestly, she just wanted the truth. So she asked him to tell her about his recent visit to New Mexico. Mark told her that he drove out in that direction to check on the Snowbowl Ski Resort. But since it was closed due to COVID, he continued into Farmington to check out the Mennonite Church because he had a family friend back in Wisconsin who told him he had attended the Mennonite Church in Farmington. All right. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a lot going on here. Let's unpack a little bit. First, let's think about this. A ski resort closed due to COVID. I mean, nothing closed due to COVID until March of 2020. But right now we're talking about mid-January 2020. So he is clearly grasping here. 
Second, in the days of internet, why would someone drive to Snowball to check if it was open or closed? And if you're wondering, it's about a two hour and 45 minute drive. But then get this from Snowball, which is located in Flagstaff, Arizona, to Farmington, New Mexico, where Sasha was abducted. That's another four hours and 45 minutes minimum. So it's not like a short drive from where he was intending to go originally. But back to the friend from Wisconsin, Detective Nagel was like, oh, okay, really? You have a friend from Wisconsin. What's your friend's name? Mark thought hard, but said he couldn't remember. Detective Nagel confronted Mark about the New Mexico visit. And she was like, why didn't you tell me that when I first asked earlier? And he blamed it on his memory. The interrogation continued and Mark admitted that on January 18th, 2020, he left Luke Air Force Base in the morning. He drove towards Farmington, making a stop at the ski resort to see if it was open. He then stopped to get some gas. And then in his own words, he went to the Farmington Mennonite Church. He actually says that he just swung by and he was swinging by to check the church hours. Now, he says he swung by the church at around 2 p.m. He didn't stop or talk to anyone. He said he didn't see anything suspicious and he definitely didn't see any Mennonite women, but he did see an older man walking with a child. Nagel straight asked Mark, were you involved in Sasha's murder? And Mark says no, but he asked her if he should be concerned. Should he get a lawyer? Now, Nagel told him, hey, that's your right to request one. But she immediately asked him another question. Why did you return to Flagstaff near Sunset Crater National Park on January 21st? All that he could say about that was that he didn't remember. Nagel then made a revelation. She told Mark that as they spoke, detectives were in Wisconsin and they were talking to his big brother, Sam. And that's when Mark got all uppity. And he immediately said something to the effect of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you have someone talking to Sam, then it appears to me that I probably need a lawyer. And with that statement, the interrogation ended and Mark Gooch was taken into custody. When detectives get access to Mark's phone dump, the information gave detectives a glimpse of Mark's connection to the Mennonite community. Something that stood out to them was a text message exchange between Mark and his brother Samuel. The conversation occurred a week prior to Sasha's kidnapping. The date was January 12th. So here is what detectives put together about this day. On Sunday, January 12th, 2020, Mark's phone arrived to the area surrounding the Trinity Mennonite Church in Glendale, Arizona. His phone pinged in the area for about 12 or so minutes. Then from there, he drove from Trinity to the Sunny Slope Mennonite Church, which was approximately seven miles away. He arrived there at around 9.54 a.m. His location was stagnant for about 10 minutes. And while there, he started a conversation by text message with his brother, Sam. And it was kind of brief. But then Mark said something super strange over these text messages. He referenced his, I'm quoting here, surveillance. And then he mentioned that it was boring. At about 10.01 a.m., he sent his brother a message that read, quote, bunch of old people without much to live for, end quote. A minute later, he said, quote, and clearly not the Mennonite people we grew up with. Sad to say, another disappointment, end quote. Sam expressed his desire to be closer to his brother, clarifying, quote, we'd find something to do or some shit to get into, end quote. Mark ended up returning to Luke Air Force Base by 1048 that morning. This conversation, although seemingly innocent, 
is chilling when we learn what happened just six days later. Why was Mark conducting surveillance of Mennonite people? Another kind of shocking text message found on Mark's phone was between Mark, Sam, and another one of their brothers, and this guy was a cop. The cop brother informed the other brothers that he just gave a Mennonite a ticket, and Mark got really excited about this, cursing and going on, and the cop brother then told them that he coughed on the driver and hoped that he brought COVID to the rest of the wedding party where the driver was heading to. Now, while this conversation may just seem like, I don't know, boys being boys, when we learn what happened later, it's really troubling. Further exploration of Mark's phone and phone records indicate that he and his brother Sam rarely spent time actually talking on the phone. Their primary means of communicating was in fact online while playing video games. This they did on a weekly basis. But listen to this. While Sam and Mark didn't speak at all the month of December and leading up to January 18th, on January 18th, the day that Sasha was kidnapped, Mark and Sam spent a combined 93 minutes actually talking on the phone. But why did they talk so much on that day? When detectives met up with Sam, as they actually did do, and when they asked him what they talked about on January 18th, Sam said he didn't remember a thing. Yeah, okay, buddy. Mark's phone also revealed that Mark Gooch was keeping a close eye on the Farmington and Coconino Police Department Facebook page after Sasha's abduction. Yep, specifically he focused on the pages that revealed Sasha Krause as a missing person. He visited these websites on January 28th, January 29th, February 2nd, and finally on February 21st. It was on that date when it was revealed that they were offering a $58,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction in Sasha's case. You may remember that Sasha's body was discovered on February 21st in Sunset Crater National Park. And of course, her discovery made news. The following day, both the Farmington Police Department and the Coconino Police Department put out a press release about Sasha's discovery. And guess what? On February 23rd, Mark Gooch did a thing. He drove his car from Luke Air Force Base to the Francis and Sons Thunderbird car wash. He asked for a deep clean interior, including the trunk. He spent a whopping $220 for this cleaning, and that included an extra $50 for light restoration to remove the yellowish color from the headlights. While Mark was at the car wash, he began to message his brother Sam, and he watched the car cleaners like a hawk, ensuring they cleaned every nook and cranny. And when they returned the car to him, he commented on what a great job they did. But Sam, for some reason, still recommended that Mark give it one extra scrub, maybe with a good disinfectant. And guess what Mark did next? His happy-go-lucky ass went on over to the BX on base and bought a $2 bottle of bleach. Mind you, this was on the same day that he just got his car deep cleaned, a day after the discovery of Sasha's body was made public. At this point, it's mid-April and Mark has been arrested. The police have a lot of circumstantial evidence, but they don't have the murder weapon. And we all know that this is very important to any investigation. It's not the end-all be-all, but it's always really important. Now, you might be wondering, but wait, 
Margot hasn't even told us Sasha's cause of death. And you're correct. And that's because even though Sasha's body was discovered in February and her autopsy was performed soon thereafter, her cause of death wasn't released to the public immediately. I will discuss the actual autopsy a little bit later, but right now I will tell you that her cause of death was a gunshot to the back of the head and some other head trauma. So back to the weapon. It's not every day that an airman gets arrested for murder. But also remember, it's a month into the COVID lockdown and the Air Force was not immune. I don't know the extent of the restrictions at Luke Air Force Base, but I imagine that eventually Mark's arrest trickled back to the unit. And there was one person whose jaw was on the floor. Jeremiah Levesque. He was an H mechanic at Luke and knew Mark Gooch. They worked together in the same unit and they knew each other mostly from riding motorcycles together. But Jeremiah wouldn't say that they were best buds. In any event, when Jeremiah got wind that Mark had been arrested for murder, he was shocked. In addition to the fact that you don't expect someone from your casual crew to be arrested for murder. But Jeremiah was holding something at his house that belonged to Mark Gooch. A gun. The order of the following events is unclear from the record, but the order is somewhat insignificant. At some point after Mark's arrest, Jeremiah got a call from Samuel Gooch, Mark's older brother, and he had some questions about that gun he was holding. Jeremiah confirmed that he did have the gun in his possession, but Jeremiah was unwilling to do anything with the weapon, but he was willing to allow Samuel to come and get the gun. Now, break, break. It's unclear if this happened before Jeremiah had contacted authorities, but just know this, Jeremiah wasn't going to be assisting any of the Gooch brothers in their sinister plan. So just hold on, okay? Jeremiah contacted his leadership and told them about the gun. Jeremiah then contacted OSI and ultimately the information about the gun got back to Coconino Police Department because remember, they were the lead investigative unit. And when they show up to Jeremiah's house, this is what Jeremiah has to say as to why he has Mark's gun to begin with. On February 23rd, 2020, Jeremiah was just hanging out at home when Mark showed up at his house and asked him for a favor. Mark told him he had just discovered that he was not allowed to have guns in the dorms and he was hoping that Jeremiah could hold the gun for him until he could figure out what to do with it. Jeremiah was himself a gun owner and he had a gun safe in the house and he was okay with helping a coworker out. So he took possession of the firearm. It was a 22 long rifle. Mark had it in a soft case. Jeremiah stored the gun in the gun safe. He placed the soft gun case under his bed. Mark also asked Jeremiah to store some 22 regular ammo and Jeremiah placed that in the safe as well. Jeremiah further told the investigators that when Mark dropped off the gun on February 23rd, something else happened that was a little bit weird. As Jeremiah walked Mark outside, Mark told Jeremiah that he had just gotten an amazing deep clean car wash. Mark was like, Jeremiah, come look at my car. It looks brand new. He opened the driver's side door and he was like, come on, get in, get in, check it out. But at that moment, Jeremiah got a call, so he couldn't. He didn't even get in the car. He didn't touch the car. He said goodbye and Mark got into his car and drove off. Suspicious or what? What's up with that? Was Mark trying to get his friend's fingerprints in the car after the deep clean? And on top of that, Jeremiah was now holding a gun that was possibly the murder weapon. Super suspicious and dirty, if you ask me. Jeremiah also told detectives about Samuel Gooch and immediately they got an idea. 
At that point, the Coconino Police Department took pictures of the items and took possession of the items belonging to Mark. Then, as reported by NBC 12 News, the Coconino Police Department went undercover as Jeremiah and agreed to meet up with Samuel to give him the gun. But he had to come to Arizona. Samuel told Jeremiah that he would come in early May and pick it up. And that he did. At the start of May, Samuel and another one of Mark's family members boarded an airplane in Wisconsin and arrived in Arizona. Samuel met up with the fake Jeremiah, where he took possession of the planted gun and he walked away with the intent to destroy the weapon. But he didn't get far because just when he thought he might actually get his baby bro out of this hot mess, Coconino Police Department arrived and arrested Samuel Gooch for attempting to hinder prosecution and tampering with evidence. The Coconino Police Department then investigated the real gun and its origins. And wouldn't you know it? It was manufactured in the 90s and it was purchased in 1999 at a Walmart in North Carolina by a man named James Gooch, who just happened to be Mark's father. It was a Marlin 22 caliber rifle. Later at trial, we would learn a few more things. Mark's dad gifted him the gun a few years earlier, and forensics revealed that Mark's gun shot the bullet that was lodged in Sasha's head. Bingo! This case was seeming like more and more of a slam dunk. With all the information they now had, Mark Gooch was charged with kidnapping and first-degree murder. Samuel Gooch, well, he was also charged with hindering prosecution and tampering with evidence. But he ended up taking a plea deal and pled guilty to facilitation to commit hindering prosecution and was ultimately sentenced to three years of probation. Of course, he would be asked to testify at his brother's trial, but the jury would never know that he had been charged in connection to his brother's case. You see, the thing about trials is that there's often a mountain of information and evidence that the jury never hears about. Maybe because the information doesn't fit into the theory of the case, or sometimes because of a motion practice that occurs before the start of the trial, where the judge rules some evidence is excluded for so-and-so legal reason. And in this case, there is some of that information, but I'll tell you about that later. Sasha Krause disappeared from her small Mennonite community in New Mexico on January 18th, 2020. Her body was discovered on February 20th, 2020 in Arizona, and Mark Gooch was tried by the state of Arizona, and his trial began in October of 2021. The trial lasted nine days, and the trial was run pretty tight by Superior Court Judge Kathleen Brown Nichols. I watched the entire trial, and honestly, of all the trials I have ever watched, This one was the most, I'm going to say, calm. The prosecutor did an excellent job piecing the entire case together. You see, when you watch a true crime TV show, everything is sewn together nicely by a narrator who introduces new pieces of evidence, but merely glosses over other important information for sake of TV time. At a murder trial, a person's life has been taken and another life hangs in the balance. In a case based solely on circumstantial evidence, you know, when no one physically watched the murder and the kidnapping and murder were not caught on CCTV footage, well, great care has to be taken to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. 
The prosecutor in this case did just that. He was the least flashiest prosecutor I've ever watched. And in fact, I feel like this trial would be a great addition to any trial litigation course. The prosecutor was Amon Barker, and he was quick on his feet while receiving objections from the defense counsel, and he moved on quickly without being flustered when the objections were sustained. During the trial, the prosecution called over a dozen witnesses. He started by calling people from the Farmington Mennonite Church, where Sasha worked and worshipped. He called her two roommates and the coon couple who were at the church probably minutes after Sasha had been kidnapped. The prosecution called Kirk Morse, who was kind of like the house dad while Sasha's house dad was actually away that weekend. And of course, we heard from Cynthia, the woman who found Sasha. She took the sand and she cried. I'm sure that it is a very out-of-body experience to find a lifeless body. But when I heard her testimony, I wondered what would have happened if she didn't randomly happen to choose this location as her camp spot. I mean, it was February. How long would it have been until Sasha was found, if ever, because of wildlife? We heard from Samuel Gooch, but he didn't have much to say because according to him, he couldn't remember a gosh darn thing. But it was very important to hear from him because the jury heard about how Mark was bitter towards the Mennonite community. And it was important for the jury to see who Mark had been communicating with for over 90 minutes on the day that Sasha was kidnapped. Various detectives and OSI agents involved in this case were called to testify about their piece of the puzzle. Michael Madsen, the assistant medical examiner, testified that Sasha's body was found on a Friday and it was very well preserved, likely because of the time of year. He told the jury that at first glance, there was no indication what her cause of death was. She was so peaceful. There wasn't a ton of blood everywhere. Her hair was up neat in a bun still with a hairnet in place to keep all the hairs nice and neat. Sasha had some bruising on her arms and legs, and she had a two inch laceration on the side of her head. But the cause of death was determined after the ME conducted an X-ray. That's where he discovered a bullet had entered in the back of Sasha's head and got lodged in her throat. It was unclear to the Emmy which came first, the laceration or the gunshot. But the gunshot was fatal, according to his testimony. He did, however, list both the gunshot and blunt force trauma to the head as Sasha's causes of death. One thing of interest to everyone, including myself, was the timing of Sasha's death and the Emmy explained that again, this is not like the movies or TV shows where every death can be pinpointed to an exact 30 minute window. In this case, Sasha's body lay out in the elements that spanned from really low temperatures to more moderate temperatures during the day when the sun was out. Ultimately, he determined her time of death having been between a week to four weeks prior to her discovery. One very important piece of the puzzle was the ballistic expert who testified that she was certain that the bullet lodged in Sasha's head was fired from Mark's gun, the one he had his friend hold for him. The defense had their own expert basically testify that the bullet wasn't good enough to figure out if it was actually Mark's gun who shot the bullet. The prosecution even called the car wash manager, a man named Jose, to explain how they were able to retrieve the receipt for the car wash. And I learned something new during his testimony. Yes, apparently when you get your car detailed, some car washes, they actually take down your license plate number and it becomes part of your receipt and it's entered into their system. 
And then if you ever come back for another car wash or if they ever need to pull information about your car washes, they do so by using the license plate number. In this case, there was a bit of a mix up. The attendant who wrote down Mark's license plate number entered Arizona as the plate state and it was actually Wisconsin. But it didn't matter because their record would be confirmed with the text messages between Mark and his brother, Sam. The jury got to hear from Lauren Nagel and Seth Dishman, the two agents who basically solved Sasha's murder. Through Nagel, the jury got to see Mark's interrogation. And through Sev Dishman, the jury learned the timeline of almost all of the evidence against Mark. Dishman put together a flawless PowerPoint presentation, not the kind that puts you to sleep, but the kind that makes you realize that your cell phone is tracking your every move. He meshed together the cell phone tower locations together with Mark's Google map location, the surveillance video outside of Mark's dorm, the DBids gate information, and his text messages to his brother, Sam. Honestly, if there are any investigators listening in today, I feel like Sev Dishman's presentation was really well done. You need to go check it out. It made it so easy for a person to put the pieces of the puzzle together. There was a testimony of a DNA expert and some other forensic experts, and they testified that there was no conclusory DNA or forensic evidence. The hair samples were inconclusive. The DNA evidence was inconclusive. The fingerprint evidence was inconclusive. There was nothing there. Once the prosecution rested, the defense attorney, a man named Bruce Griffin, he presented a handful of his own witnesses, one being James Gooch, Mark's father. Now, James testified that Mark was the youngest of seven kids raised on a dairy farm in Wisconsin. They were part of the Mennonite community, but because they were not born in said religion, Mark particularly, he felt that they were outsiders and weren't treated the same. James testified that the Mennonite values are all about Jesus and they are anti-violence. They do not believe in violence, even in the act of self-defense. In fact, he testified that being in the military and even being a part of the police force goes against the Mennonite values. So, of course, he was shocked when two of his own kids ended up in these professions. While Mark grew up in the Mennonite community, he never dedicated himself to the faith. And when he turned old enough to leave, he did. James and Mark did not see eye to eye on the military thing. But once Mark signed the enlistment paperwork with the Air Force, James said they just never spoke about it again. He knew full well that Mark had a commitment and it wasn't the kind of job where you can just quit and leave. James testified that he never knew Mark to be violent and considered him to be a peaceful person. James did also say that he gave Mark the gun. When asked why he had a gun if he was anti-violence, he indicated he had it on his farm to scare away all of the predators that tried to get his animals. And that totally makes sense. The defense called their own expert ballistic witness who tried to put reasonable doubt into the jury's head as it related to the gun. During closing arguments, the prosecutor likened this case to Mark Gooch being a man who used the cover of darkness to snuff the light of a beautiful young woman, all because he resented the religious community he was once a part of. The defense attempted to poke holes in the case, choosing to focus on the fact that there were zero eyewitnesses, that Mark Gooch didn't have a single violent bone in his body, that there was zero DNA evidence, that the investigators failed to follow through with a white vehicle that was seen near the Farmington Mennonite community on the night of January 18th. With that, the jury let out to deliberate. 
It took them a few hours and eventually they returned with a verdict. Guilty of kidnapping and first degree murder. Sentencing took place in January of 2022. But before I talk about sentencing, let me tell you the things that the jury didn't hear about that probably would have cut down their deliberation time. What the jury never heard was that prior to this murder trial, Mark Gooch had an additional charge pending against him for another crime against Sasha Kraus. You see, he had been charged with theft. Theft? What the hell did he steal? Well, missing when Sasha Kraus was discovered were her underwear and her traditional Mennonite head covering. While it's unclear from the trial and the initial complaint if these items were ever found among Mark Gooch's items when he was searched, he was charged with misdemeanor theft because the combined price of these items were less than $1,000. And let me just speculate a little here. I bet you they found these items in his dorm room or his office or his car or something like that. But I guess I could totally be wrong. It's crazy to consider that the jury didn't hear such a pivotal fact in the case. But ultimately, even without that evidence, they came back with a guilty verdict. By the way, the judge did take up that misdemeanor charge immediately after the jury came back with their verdict, and she found him guilty of the theft. At trial, another thing the jury didn't hear about was how deep Mark's brother, Sam, was involved in covering up for his baby brother. Remember all that stuff I mentioned earlier? Samuel Gooch reaching out to Jeremiah Levesque to get the gun, and then him actually hopping on a plane and getting the gun? Yeah, all of that? Mm -hmm. The jury didn't hear any of it. Sentencing for Mark Gooch took place on January 19th, 2022, almost two years to the date of Sasha's kidnapping and murder. Sasha's parents were not at the sentencing hearing, but they did write a letter to the Coconino County Superior Court judge, and they told the judge many amazing things about Sasha because it was important to Sasha's family that the court knew about Sasha beyond just the tragedy of how her life ended. As reported by Fox 10 Phoenix, Sasha's parents shared that Sasha was a good sister. She was conscientious, eager to read at a young age, and very determined. Quote, as she grew up, Sasha was more than her daughter. She was her friend. I didn't only teach her, she taught me. And I am so thankful, end quote. Her dad said that he would never understand why it was his daughter who was kidnapped and murdered, but he believes it has to have been part of God's plan. He wrote, quote, God will use her death for his glory, and I am convinced he has eternal purposes for Sasha that we can only guess about from here, end quote. Mark's family also spoke at sentencing, his father James still sticking by his son's side, stating, quote, And so as the sentencing is pronounced, we just pray for your leniency on it, that Mark may return to society and be a contributing member to society, end quote. According to reporting by the Arizona Daily Sun, both of Gooch's parents indicated that Mark found his way back to religion after his arrest. At his own sentencing hearing, Mark didn't say much and he didn't show any emotions throughout the entire court proceeding. But he did make a statement and sentencing, whereas he said, quote, Firstly, I would like to express my sincere condolences to the deceased family, and I would also like to express my thankfulness for the love and support of my own family in this difficult situation, end quote. The prosecutor in this case asked the judge to give a life sentence and wondered out loud, 
if the smart investigating of the Coconino County detectives nagged a serial killer at the beginning of his career. And you know what? That's the same exact thing I had wondered this entire case. Sasha, well, she was a writer and she often turned to poetry. And among her writings, back when she was only 19 years old, eight years before her death, she wrote a poem titled, If I Die Young. The prosecutor, during his sentencing argument, he put the poem up on the screen. And I want to insert her poem here. If I die young, count not my life as blighted, nor ponder sadly what might have been. You know not how my youthful soul delighted, scared upward as though on the wings of wind. If I die young, think not the hours wasted. I spent preparing for some future day. My God is not unrighteous to forget it. He will completely recompense some way. If I die young, pray, mourn me not, my friends. You did not see the fears that washed my soul. You did not see the tempted fierce within me, nor how I burned with longing for the goal. If I die young, grant this voice a hearing. Death is but gain to those who trust my God and know that he is watching for my coming. My soul you did not bury in the sod. The judge had a lot to consider in this case. And before she announced her sentence, she mentioned that this was a census crime and one of the most evil cases she has ever dealt with. Until this day, we have zero motive. We have an airman with no criminal history, yet just one day he started killing? Judge Nichols considered it all, and she ultimately found that there were four aggravating factors in this case. But she also found four mitigating factors. The aggravating factors were that Mark used a deadly weapon in the commission of a serious crime. The act of abducting and murdering Sasha was particularly heinous, cruel, and depraved. She pointed out how scared Sasha must have been the entire time that she's in his car. Another aggravating factor was the fact that Sasha's family suffered both an emotional and financial harm. And the last aggravating factor was the fact that Mark lay in wait and ultimately ambushed Sasha. For mitigating factors, the judge found the following. She considered Mark's military service, his young age because he was only 20 years old at the time of the crime. She also considered the fact that he had no prior criminal history and his strong family support. But even after considering all of these factors, Judge Nichols sentenced 22-year-old Mark Gooch to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murder of Sasha Krauss. She sentenced him to an additional five years for kidnapping and six more months for the theft. By the time he was sentenced, he had already spent 636 days in jail. So he got credit for that as well. It's so hard for me to believe sometimes that he was 20 years old when he committed this heinous crime. This is one of those cases where I just don't understand it. There was absolutely no connection between Sasha and this evil man. And yes, this happens all the time, but it still just baffles my mind. Had he done this before? Was this really his first rodeo? Questions that, you know, we'll never know the answer to. The Lamb and Light community appears to be an easygoing religious community that continues to believe in the goodness in people. But after Sasha went missing and was murdered, even they had to make changes to how they go about their daily routines. 
they had more lighting installed in the community. Maybe with more lighting, someone could have seen Sasha or they could have seen something. They have also started locking the church and locking other facilities on their property. And while that's all I officially know of, I bet they have a few more security cameras in the vicinity. While I completed my research for this case, I came across something absolutely beautiful. I indicated earlier that Sasha was a writer and a poet, and it appears that some of her poetry have come to life in the form of songs. This song that I'm about to play for you was written by Sasha Krauss and is beautifully performed in her honor by Katrina and Carrie Miller. One day we'll not be waiting anymore The generations who have gone before And we who carry on the torch they bore One day we'll not be waiting steps the size the weary years as bright count days before the groom appears but it will end in spite of all our fears we will forget the ways its toils and tears Christ will come and we who long time bore the image of the earthly shall no more we shall be changed made worthy of our Lord he comes fulfilling all we've waited for one day we'll not be waiting anymore. Woof, this was another tough case. But if it helps you feel any better, I came across a picture of Mark Gooch just a few weeks before his trial was set to begin. The article and picture were found in the Military Times and Mark appeared in court virtually and there's a picture of him He's masked up, but he, as clear as day, has a very black eye, as if he was pummeled pretty good in prison. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a vindictive person, but I am, and a part of me is pretty happy that he is at least getting jacked up in civilian jail. All right, my loves, if you dig this show and want some more Mama Margot in your life during the week, follow me on social. I'm on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast. And I'm on TikTok at Military Margot with a T at the end. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and is produced in collaboration with my Bootcamp and Hire fan club members. If you're interested in supporting this show, make sure you check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash military murder. The music was created by TyOps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time.
who's working on our podcast. I don't want to.